We are going to be doing a little team teaching this morning, Pastor Andrew and myself, uh, which should be a lot of fun. Um, we were talking this week as we wrapped up our series on moving forward uh, that what is the Holy Spirit saying? What does he want us to deal with next? And as we got into a little discussion, we kind of came to the conclusion that one thing everybody's feeling now is a little bit squeezed. Anybody feeling squeezed uh, in addition to your normal life? Then you have a global pandemic piled on top of you and some other issues that we'll talk about in just a moment. But virtually everybody in America right now is more stressed out than they've ever been before. And we thought that, you know, the Bible does have some stuff to say about that that can help us out. Yeah. I mean, I think that picture kind of described it all. I mean, look <laughs> at that. Do you feel like that being in the middle of a vice, being squeezed? Now, I went to uh, Aldi's the other day. At the grocery store, and normally when I go to all these, it's like you can just go through a checkout, and they're like processing you all the way through. That's an event for us. Oh. We, yeah, we camp out there. <laughs> well, when I go through, it's normally like in and out, but the, the cashier actually stopped <laughs> me to, to chat with me like the first time ever in Aldi, and she was telling me how stressed she was. And she was telling about the 4th of July. She's like, America's going through existential crisis, all these different things. We might as well just blow a bunch of stuff off, fireworks. And I was just like, Wow. Like, I've yeah. never had that. No. That and I got to pause. Isn't that a new word that we just love now? The existential threat, the existential crisis. That's one of those nice philosophical words. It just means you feel the weight of all this stress, but you're not really sure why. You can't pinpoint it. And I just had to share a funny story. You know, when my kids were growing up, I wanted them to come across as being precocious, you know, smart for their age. And so I would train my kids. I say, when your teacher asks you how you're doing today, just tell them, I'm dealing with an existential threat of epic proportion. All right, now when a, now when a kindergartner shares that to their kindergarten teacher, how many of you know you get, the, the, anyway, but sometimes they wouldn't get the words right and it didn't always work well. But we're under an existential threat right now in case some of you are not aware yet. Yeah, it's almost like the feeling in our nation is like, when is the other shoe going to drop, right? You got this dark, looming cloud over a nation. But that's not how we as believers should live. No. And that's, I think that's the key. You know, even as we're worshiping for second service, in my heart, I felt the Lord says, you know, that's not our spirit here. You know, we're no doom and gloom. No. This is an encouraging message. This, yes. is, this is a way for us to shine in the middle of darkness. Come on. So today we want to preach an encouraging message, but we do want to address... Um, the tangible stress that we feel in our culture today, we want to be sensitive to that. We won't be nice and sensitive and speak to that, right? Yes, we do. We don't want to ignore it. Um, so, you know, Pastor Ron and I talked about there's two different types of stress that we're facing today. And in my mind, I categorize it two ways. One, I would consider a manufactured stress. And then we have tangible stress. So we want to talk about the manufactured stress first because that's very practical to our day, yes, isn't it? Is. it? Yes, it's it is. It's very practical things we can do. It. You know, I listened to a podcast once and it really opened my, up my eyes on how the news media, social media, all that stuff works, okay? And what I learned is uh, how many clicks they get on the website, on the headlines, or how many views they get or how many uh, attention they get is directly related to how much money they make. So there's a strategy behind all of that to get your attention. And people aren't clicking on warm, fuzzy things. No, they, they really aren't. We're you clicking know, on all the crises that are all around us. Negative news is always going to be greater than positive news in terms of getting your attention. Now, people are feeding upon your, 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 our inclination toward anxiety and fear. That's a, that's a psychological strategy they have. 
So one of the reasons people are pumping these negative news is so that they can get your attention because they want to get revenues. But fortunately, we only have to deal with the news media for 24 hours <laughs> right. out of right. every day. I mean, so it's a minor threat. No, it's actually feeding all that stuff to us nonstop. Well, I was sharing for service, like this 24-hour news cycle is a, is a modern phenomenon. The last decade or so, we've never done that throughout the history of mankind before. We don't know what that's doing to our mind. To, to get those news 24-7 plus negative news. Yeah. I mean, there's some studies that come out already that shows the, the detrimental health effects it has on us to consume these negative news all the time. Yeah. Plus some of these news, the, the purpose is not to report news. The purpose is actually to create news. And so all that tied together um, causes this very toxic atmosphere whenever you reach for your phone or turn on the TV. I mean, you joked about this in the quarantine, right? I, I shared at the beginning of all this mayhem uh, that one of the best things you could do to stay healthy was not to quarantine yourself, but to quarantine your television. Uh, because your television is a source of, of nonstop, many times fake created crisis after the next crisis after the next crisis. And if you sit under that deluge every day, you start doing strange things, yelling at your television and hurting your dog. I mean, so, you know, you do crazy things. Uh, now, I don't have a dog, so some of you are going, that pastor hurts his dog. No, that was just uh, hyperbole, all right? But you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you start getting frustrated and angry, and we talked about that. Sometimes we come into work in the morning, and, and we're both like, Ugh. Yeah. Uh, The worst thing to do is wake up in the morning and turn on your phone and start checking out the news. Yeah. I, I used to do that, and I come to work, feel under the weight of the world. I'm like, I can't handle this. I'm not doing this anymore. You but know, those so. are the existential threats that we're dealing with. But yeah. we have enough real stuff to cause us to be squeezed. Well, so the, the manufacturer stuff, I think we need to... I'm not saying be an ostrich, you know, bury your right. head in the sand. But I think the, the, the news and stuff, we just need a filter in mind. You know what I'm saying? We need to just have a good guard in our minds and our hearts, understanding that people who write news and report news have an agenda. We just be aware of that, okay? Yeah. But then you got the tangible stress, which is very real and affecting this on a daily basis. So now I made a little list of some of the things we might deal with. I was sharing with my wife, uh, like one night I was kind of sharing with her my ideas, and I read this list to her. She's like, I wasn't stressed before, but now that I read this, I'm stressed now. So uh, just to stir that up a little bit, I'm going to read my list. So brace yourselves. We're going to have prayer at the end, all right? But brace yourself. You might be stressed because of job loss. Um, even in our life group, there, was, there are several men who just experienced that in the last month, which leads to economic uncertainty, uh, paying the bills, paying your mortgage. Uh, if you're a business owner, you might be stressed because you have too much or too little business. Uh, you might be stressed because stores are opening up or stores are closing. You might be stressed because of social media. You get stressed because of what people are posting, and you get stressed for what people are not posting. You get stressed um, because... You're being labeled because of what you believe in, or maybe you're stressed because you're labeling other people for what they believe in. You're stressed because of the lack of civility we show in our nation today, or you're stressed because maybe you're showing other people no civility. You're stressed because of the division in our nations, in our family, in our marriages. You might be stressed because of health issues. You might be stressed because the Supreme Court is making rulings that they have no business making. You might be stressed because of the, the, the coming election. And my goal in all of this, I ask myself, is this. 
Am I going to make it to Christmas 2020? Yeah. <laughs> December 25th, 2020 is my like finish That's line. your personal goal? Personal goal. If I can make it to Christmas 2020, I'm a happy man. <laughs> but my question to you guys, we'll make it. We'll survive. But we can either survive crawling with our corpse to the finish line <laughs> with a drug addiction and depression and anxiety, right? Yeah. Or we can make it with greater faith, greater intimacy of God, or we can make it with greater uh, victory in our walk than ever before. Come on. And that's the message we have today is we, we have this choice before us. You know, as a spiritual community, as a people of God, we're called to make it and make it well. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how dark the cloud seems to be. We have sunshine in our path because we are people of God. Come on. And that's what this message is designed to do, is to encourage mm. us, to equip us for the oncoming season. It doesn't matter what happens. God, God is in control of what's inside, and because of that, we can have peace and joy. So, Come on. So we're going to talk over the next you know, four weeks about some practical ways that we really move in the full promise and provision of God as it relates to living in a world that, where we feel continually pressured. And you know, the Bible's very clear. The closer we get to the return of Christ, it's not going to get less in terms of pressure. Things, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And so how many of you know we just need to have our feet really firmly planted in the Lord, uh, uh, and we need to learn how to manage our emotions. And, you know, we talked about that many, many mornings, that we can't let this stuff get us under because the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we've shared this before. If you're not living uh, in an emotional realm of peace and in an emotional realm where you're, there's t tangible sense of joy, those are red flags that something is the matter because that's the, that's the sweet spot of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just going to give you a short bit of hope and encouragement today and really kind of set the bar for what the Lord would have for us in Philippians chapter 4, and you can look on the screen, uh, verses 6 and 7. Um, it talks about a promise from the Lord. And, and let me just highlight this again. You know, um, chronic stress will kill you. We all know that. I mean, chronic stress... It will end your life. We have we have hypertension. We got strokes. We got heart attacks. Uh, we got we got in a situation like our dear sister shared, where sometimes if you're living under stress, you don't sleep well. When you don't sleep well, you wake up tired. When you wake up tired, you're stressed. You don't function well. And when you don't perform well, you, there's more stress, and and it just becomes this vicious cycle that becomes all consuming if we're not careful. We need to learn how to move through the situation in victory. And Philippians chapter four gives us uh, at least God's promise to us. Look at how it begins in verse 6. Don't worry about... Let's say that again. Don't worry about... Now, how many of you know that is a command from God? How many of you take the commandments of God seriously, which means we need to take this commandment seriously, which means if we're in a situation where there's stress and worry, we're not moving in obedience to God at that point. There's something out of whack. And he gives us a couple things here next that are practical ways to fulfill this. First of all, we're encouraged to pray. And I, again, these are all separate messages. I'm just going to introduce it. We, we need to pray more when we're feeling the stress. How many of you know God's still moving mountains? God's still doing things that are blow our minds when we allow him to. When we place things in his hands, then he can do so, stuff that we can't accomplish by ourselves. So we need to pray more. But look at the two words that start with T in the next verse. It says, tell God, first of all, what you need. We need to be specific. Lord, I need this. We need to tell God what we need. And then look what it says next. We need to thank him for all that he's done. I, I shared last week, sometimes people destroy the blessing of God with their mouths. 
because they're negative, they're full of unbelief, they're critical, they're cynical. And how many of you know God himself does not work in the lives of people that constantly spew out of their mouth unbelief, criticism, cynicism, lack of gratitude. He just doesn't move. And so sometimes we are our own worst enemies when anxiety comes. If you go negative when anxiety comes, you're going to end up destroying the blessing and the opportunity that God wants to do in your life. So we've got to get our mouths under control. We've got to get our hearts under control. Look at the promise, though. And here's what I want to just lay out before you like a beautiful prize. Here's the promise. You will experience God's peace. How many of you can use some peace in your life, right? The peace of God, which the Bible says transcends all knowledge. In other words, it's supernatural. It takes you to another dimension. It's peace in the midst of the storm. It's Jesus sleeping on the boat when everybody else is freaking out. How many of you know we need to learn how to sleep on the boat in the midst of the storms? And that's the promise that God gives us. So this is a verse that fills us with hope. It's God's guarantee that it's possible to live not a stress-free life in the sense that we don't have to encounter it, but how many of you know we don't have to let stress win and we don't have to let anxiety control our lives? And so Pastor Andrew today is going to talk about what is the purpose of the squeezing that takes place? Why, why is this happening? Why, sometimes people say, God, if you really love me, why am I going through all this squeezing? If you really love me, it wouldn't be happening. But maybe God's got a deeper purpose in mind. And uh, so, Pastor Andrew, lead us, lead us to the de- depth of why God squeezes us sometimes. You know, between first and second service, a lot of times I make adjustments um, to my talk and um, while we're worshiping, I felt the Lord really spoke to me. He says, you, you want to emphasize to our people who even when we worship, we have such a spirit of uh, celebration and optimism and posit- positivity. And that's really, that's part of God's heart. And I felt the Lord spoke to me. He says, present to people the gift of the squeeze. The squeeze of God is really a gift. And I have a couple, a couple different analogies that kind of breaks down what the squeeze uh, means. You know, I... I looked in the mirror the other day, and I looked at the mirror closely. I don't know about you. I normally don't look at the mirror closely. It's just when I wash my hand, I look up. But I actually went to the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror closely, and I saw all the white hair that's coming out of my head, especially in my sideburns. I'm like, how could I have white hair? I'm still 25 years old. No, I'm not. I feel like I'm 25 years old. So I look in the mirror. I'm like, wow. So I told my wife, I need a haircut. So that's why I got a haircut. Um, True story. But um, the reason um, we don't often look in the mirror closely is because you see all the imperfections, right? You see all the little dots and all the little hairs, and then where did, where did that mole pop out of? And, um, but that's what, that's what squeezing does. It shows us what's truly inside, what we really look like. Another example I have for squeezing is, you know, when you go to the dentist, um, they say, hey, we're going to give you an x-ray. Well, every, at least every time I go, I get an x-ray because I go once every like five years. So they're like, we're going to give you an x-ray. Again, every time I come, well, come more often, you won't need an x-ray. Um, so I go and they give me the x-ray and I hated it because I don't want to know which teeth has cavities and which teeth needs to get a pull. I don't want to know that. But the x-ray and the mirror, at the end of the day, are gifts. They, shows up, they show us what's really inside. Now, often... What's really inside is pretty scary, and we don't want to face it. And I want to kind of describe what that looks like and, and how the devil thinks. Um, 
I want to use one of my favorite movies ever to describe the scenario is uh, The Dark Knight. Anybody seen that movie, The Dark Knight, the Batman movie? You guys know what I'm talking about. Pastor Aaron, our youth pastor, and I actually did a podcast on that, so I'm making a shameless plug. Um, but the, 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 the bad guy, the antagonist in the movie, he was the Joker. Now, his scheme wasn't to um, make all the money in the world, steal all the money, or kill all the people. His scheme was much more insidious, much more interesting. His goal was to, he believes everyone in their core is gross and nasty inside. So his scheme is to squeeze everyone so that their true self comes out, so they can be exposed for the hypocrites that they are. Does that make sense? It's really insidious, but also kind of true at the same time. And that's how I see the devil. You know, the devil, his name is uh, Satan, the accuser. I could see Satan going to God and saying, you see that Andrew over there? He's only worshiping you because, he, because his life is going so well. He's only worshiping you. He's only going to church because everything's going so good. But if you only let me squeeze him, I'm going to show you what's, free, what's truly inside. And that's the devil's perspective. In fact, he did that to a man named Job. In Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, this is what the devil said to God. He says, did Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him, his household, and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flock and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to the ground. In other words, when Job is squeezed, what's inside of him will surely curse you, God. That's what happens when we're squeezed, right? But I also want to talk about the other vision of being squeezed in which that if you have been refined by God, if you have been forged in the fire, what comes out of you when you're squeezed, it's a reflection of God's glory. And God is honored by that. I want to give you the example of Jesus Christ, who of all people has been squeezed the most. He was tortured. He was mocked. He was whipped. He was crucified. He suffered the burden of sins from the whole entire world, separation from his father. But check out what he said when he squeezed. When Jesus was squeezed, check out what came out of him. He said, you will be with me in paradise, right, to the thief to his side. He said, hey, John, take care of my mom. He said, forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they're doing. He said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. These are the things that came out of Jesus when he was squeezed. And this testimony of him being squeezed was so powerful that the centurion who was watching over this, you know, that centurion who probably oversees all the people being crucified, probably hundreds if not thousands of people being tortured to death. This centurion who's no foreigner to torture and death and squeezing, when he saw Jesus being squeezed, he was so impacted by that testimony, he says, surely this is the Son of God. And that is the power of being squeezed. Whether nastiness comes out or the glory of God. Now, today I want to talk to you. Now, if when you're squeezed and every time what comes out to you is like the Holy Spirit, then I want to dismiss you to go have some coffee right now. You're good to go. <laughs> Can't. Hold him in here. Just kidding. <laughs> However, if you, like the rest of us, when you're squeezed and what came out is you're like, oh, what was there in the first place? Like, what is that? Like someone cuts you off, like last night, trying to come home. I don't even, I probably shouldn't share the story, but <laughs> it was bad. Following somebody, I'm trying to get home, it's 10 o'clock, I got to preach the next day, I'm exhausted. 
and I'm following a car. You know how it is. And then I'm like, what is coming out of me? This is not good. But just in this season, when you're being squeezed, if you realize what's coming out of you, it's gross, it's nasty. You're like, I didn't know that was in me the first place. If that's you, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to tell you your squeezing is your best friend, your best friend. You know, for me, in this current season of everything, the last since, I feel like since February till now, we've been in the twilight zone. Uh, what came out of me is a lot of anxiety and fear. Um, I turn on the news, I'm watching this, and I feel anxiety. I'm like, well, I'm going to lose my kids. I, I mean, just these random fear, anxiety came out of me that's out of nowhere. I don't even know where it came from. I'm like, I didn't even know that was in me. But who am I to blame? Simply, this is to show me what is really inside of my heart. So instead of laying blame on all the stuff out there and who's doing this and who's doing this, you know what? I'm going to look inside. I'm not going to worry about all that yet. I'm going to worry about what's inside of my heart first. I'm going to worry about why there's such junk in my own heart. So if you are experiencing what I experienced, I want to take you through the journey of Peter, the apostle Peter. You guys know the story of Peter betraying Jesus, right? Denied Jesus three times, uh, bailed on Jesus, was broken. Now, I want to lay out the perspective that Jesus, I mean, Peter denying Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to Peter. It was the best thing that has ever happened to Peter. And I want to tell you, you being squeezed and you seeing the nastiness that come out of you, it's the best thing that could, come out, that, that could happen to you in this season right now. I'm going to lay out that case. So go with me to Luke chapter 22. You guys know the story. Jesus just told his disciples, last supper, he says, I'm about to go on the cross. I'm about to do torture and kill and resurrect in three days. Somebody's going to betray me. Uh, you guys are all going to leave me. And then Peter says, not me, Lord. I will be with you. So read along with me, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. And this is what Jesus says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crow today, you will deny three times that you know me. So here's three parts to this plan. The first part, when you see that nastiness that come out of you, you're like, oh, it's so gross. You need to understand that that doesn't impress God. He already know what, knows what's inside of you. You might not know what's inside of you. He knows exactly what's inside of you, and he loves you nevertheless. You know, Jesus knew how full of himself Peter was. He was in no delusion that Peter is this great man of God. He knew Peter worshiped on the, on the altar of self-reliance. Jesus knows how messed up you are, how messed up I am. He knows all the junk in our hearts. He knows all the four-letter words that rise up when we get angry, but we kind of swallow it because pastor's around. He knows all the bitterness and the anger we have, but we kind of justify or rationalize it. He knows all the anger, anxiety inside our heart because of lack of faith, but we just don't admit to it. Jesus knows what's inside of us. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to know it. You know, in my devotion the other day, I, I read about um, the story when the, um, when the woman came and anointed Jesus with oil. So Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's home. 
in the middle of this dinner, a woman with bad reputation came in, and she poured all this expensive perfume all over Jesus. She washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And this Pharisee judged this woman and judged Jesus, saying, don't you know what she's done? Don't you know who she is? And Jesus told him the parable. He says, you know, if a landlord forgave two debts, and one person was forgiven a lot, and one person was forgiven a little, who's going to love the landlord more? The Pharisee says, the person who has been forgiven much, or who has been, his debt been forgiven much. And Jesus says, that's why. If you have been forgiven much, you will love me more. There's deep wisdom to this. Because the only difference between that Pharisee and that woman right there is that that woman knows the depth of her sins. Whereas this Pharisee doesn't. So this woman here has the opportunity to love Jesus so much more than this Pharisee. See, the difference is not their level of sin. The difference is awareness. So that awareness is the gift. You guys see what I'm saying? So when you're squeezed and all the junk that came out of you, that awareness is a blessing. Use it. Use it to know how far you're away from Jesus so you can run up to him. Use it to know that Jesus loves you in the middle of your junk so that you can love him back. So step number one, understand that God knows what's inside and he still loves you. Number two is very simple. What he said to Peter. You know, in Peter's head, his plan was the pressure of the world is going to come and me on my own ability and character, I'm going to stand up underneath it because I am Peter. I am the disciple. I am the legend. But Jesus knew that wasn't going to happen. That was an impossibility. So he gave him a different plan. He says, that's not going to happen, Peter. I'm going to give you a different plan. You're going to fall on your face, but your plan is this. Repent, get back up and follow me again, and then strengthen your brothers. I want to talk about the repent and get back up again. Seems simple enough, right? You get squeezed, nastiness comes out of you, just repent and get back up. No, it's not that. I mean, it's simple, but it's really, really, really hard. I want to talk about repentance real quick. I'm sure there are many great messages on repentance. But in this context, I'm going to read verse 61. Just kind of show you what repentance for Peter looked like. Of course, Peter rejected Jesus uh, three times. In verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you would disown me three times. He went back outside and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Think about that. Why did Peter wept bitterly? I mean, part of it is probably because he knew he let Jesus down. But I think one of the reasons Peter wept bitterly is because he had a clear view of what's really inside. He had to finally acknowledge to himself that he was a coward. Now, speak to any man or any woman here. When you have to acknowledge to yourself that you're a coward, that is not fun. That's a painful experience. That's a moment in which you will probably want to weep bitterly. But that's to me is what repentance looks like, is you actually own all your junk. Instead of blaming all out there and say, hey, that made me do it. This person made me do it. My parents did this. You own it and you say, that is me. I own it. I did it. I'm screwed up. I'm messed up. When I realize all the, all the anxiety and fear in my heart, I want to blame all the stuff out there that's causing me to feel that way. But the truth is this. I don't have enough faith. The truth is there's hurts and wounds from my past that still tangle onto me and I need to sort and deal with it. The truth is, 
I am not as godly or faithful or, or honorable like I thought I was. Does that make sense? I just have to own up to it. And that's not fun or interesting or something I love to preach about. But that to me is repentance, is going to that junk and say, yep, that's me. That is me. I am owning that. That to me is repentance. And then the next part is you got to get back up and turn to Jesus, which is easier said than done because in the middle of repentance, in the middle of this bitterness and weeping, what you want to do is you want to stay there. You want to stay in self-pity. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'll never get back again. God will never use me. What's the point? Blah, blah, blah. You want to be a victim. I've definitely been there before. But Jesus said to Peter, get back up again. In fact, he said, Peter, I pray for you for your faith so that your faith will not fail. Now, the faith that Jesus was talking about to Peter is not the faith that he failed to demonstrate when he denied Jesus three times. He's talking about the faith that he needs to get back up and turn to Jesus again. Because when you're on your knees, when you're weeping bitterly, when you're broken, when you're like, man, I'm the worst person in the world, at least I feel like it, it's going to take you faith to get back up, turn towards Jesus, and follow him again. Repent and turn to Jesus again. Don't beat yourself up. Don't let the devil beat you, beat, beat you up. That's not honoring God. You know what's honoring God? Repent, obey him, turn to him again. And then step number three, and this is my favorite, strengthen your brothers. You know, God is the ultimate visionary. Think about it. Jesus at the Last Supper. So he's facing the pressure of the cross. He knows torture, pain, agony, all that junk is coming. He has people around him. He knows that he's gonna, they're going to abandon him. He has Judas sitting across from him who he, he knows is going to betray him. Now he's talking to Peter right now, correcting Peter, telling Peter, hey, guess what? You are going to betray me. And he gave him direction. In the midst of all this, what was in Jesus' mind for Peter, check this out, is not the Peter that's going to betray him. He was talking to the future Peter found in Acts 2. The, the, the Peter that in the middle of Pentecost was filled by the Holy Ghost, preached a message so powerful that 3,000 people got saved. The first message preached in the new church. Okay, That was the Peter that Jesus was talking to. You see, Fathers by nature are visionary for their kids. And I use the example of my, my son, Nehemiah. He's six years old. He's a great kid, but he's a six years old. So he uh, one day was whipping this blanket around. Like, I don't know what he's trying to do. And, you know, at first it was kind of fun. After a while, it's like he's whipping it really hard, and he, I know someone's going to get hurt. Lo and behold, so I told him, hey, stop it. Knock it off. You're done playing. He didn't listen, of course. Jump on the table, start whipping it around. I came around the corner and whipped me right in the eye. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I get hit in the face, I feel squeezed and something comes out of me, okay? I mean, hit me in the arm, the back, the leg, hit me in the face, eh. So, um, so I felt squeezed. I'm like, son, what's going on here, you know? And my son just turned. He showed so much care. He was so repentant. He felt so bad. He's like, dad, are you okay? And, and what impressed me was for a six-year, he showed a real depth of empathy, and so on one hand, I was like 75% I was still kind of annoyed because I got hit in the face. But there's 25% of me, I was like, wow, my son will make a really good life group leader. <laughs> when can I quickly, how old can I turn him into going caring for other people? I mean, I found myself processing that because that's what fathers do. They think about their kids, the sons and the daughters, and the visionary and the forward. So I wasn't so caught up on his failures and immaturity. I was focused on his destiny. 
And that's what, that's what a heavenly father do for us. When Jesus saw Peter, he, he saw immaturity, but he knew that immaturity wasn't going to get in the way of Peter's destiny. The goal of the squeezing is so that we can see ourselves clearly for who we are, repent, be processed of that, and we can turn to Jesus again. And the final reason for that is what? So we can go and strengthen others. Let's remember this. In the middle of your squeezing, you got to remember the goal. The goal is so that you can strengthen others. In conclusion, I just got a couple of encouragement. You cannot be filled with yourself and with God at the same time. You won't be filled with God. You got to be squeezed so you can be empty of yourself. You cannot be filled with your way and God's way at the same time. A lot of time, a squeezing comes at us. You know what needs to be squeezed out is my way of doing things. I'm speaking from my own experience. It doesn't have to be your way. In fact, it can't be your way if you want to do it God's way. Lastly, you can't be filled with your agenda and God's agenda at the same time. This is something, again, I learned from my own experience. Even in the ministry world, I got lots of agenda and lots of ideas. And God squeezes us to get rid of my own agenda so that God's agenda can fill us. We have to be empty of ours so we can be filled with his. I want to encourage you. When you squeeze, it literally doesn't matter what comes out. It doesn't matter how gross, how nasty you're telling me. You don't know how bad it is, Pastor. I don't need to know. But it doesn't matter how bad it is as long as you face it, as long as you repent of it and turn back to Jesus. In fact, the worse the better. You want to get it out, right? Don't you guys want that stuff out of you? I know I do. Embrace the squeeze as a gift from God. Why? So that you can repent, repent turn towards Jesus, and strengthen your brothers. If you are being squeezed in this season, and what comes out of you is not what you like. It's nasty, it's gross, you're not sure what to do with it, you're confused, you're disoriented. I want to invite you to come up and pray with us. Share what's on your heart, what's your struggle, what is this icky thing that's coming out. If you know what, don't know what to do with it, how do you repent? How do you turn to Jesus? If you're discouraged, we'd love to pray with you. Love to give you some directions. This is as practical as it gets. We want to set you guys up. Between now, our goal is December 25th, 2020, to be victorious. And you know what? We're launching 2021 with full vision and passion. Amen?